All right, let's pray now as we uh, want to dive into God's Word together. Father, thank you for speaking, for revealing your heart and your mind that we can know you. Lord, help our hearts and minds receive your truth today and believe and trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the past several weeks, we've been uh, talking about delighting ourselves in the Lord and how pursuing our happiness in Him glorifies Him. And uh, for many people, this is kind of a radical idea. There, sometimes people think, no, we shouldn't seek happiness. Uh, that's, that's not a good thing to do, to seek your happiness. But that really isn't true. Uh, the problem is not that we seek happiness. The problem is when we try to find happiness outside of God and his ways. We were made to seek happiness in God. C.S. Lewis said something very interesting about this about um, this idea that, that our problem is that our desires for happiness, for pleasure, that our desires are too strong. What we need to do is try to rid ourselves of those desires. And he says, no. The problem is not that our desires are too strong. It's that our desires are too weak. And we settle for puny, pitiful, little pleasures instead of pursuing ultimate joy in God and His will. And we have seen again and again in passage after passage that the only way to experience true and lasting satisfaction is to find it in Jesus Christ and His ways. Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Satisfaction. He's the only one. So why wouldn't we come to Him? Why wouldn't we trust Him? Why wouldn't we give ourselves to living the way He calls us to live? Why wouldn't we do that? For instance, because it's timely, why would we not give generously so that people in desperate need of clean water and the gospel can have it so they can hear the message they need to hear that Jesus is the water of life and that he alone can satisfy their God-sized thirst. Why would we not do that? Especially when Jesus promised that it's a happier thing to give than to receive. Or why would we not do any of a number of other things that Jesus would have us do on any given day? Why would we not devote ourselves to prayer? Praying for the lost, praying for God's will, His kingdom to come, His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would we not give up time to help somebody in need? Why would we not forgive someone who's hurt us? Why would we not share the gospel? Why would we not flee temptation instead of flirting with it? Why wouldn't we want to delight ourselves in the Lord? Why would we not want to give ourselves fully to Him and His agenda and the advancing of His kingdom? 
Well, I can think of some reasons why. I think one big reason why, why we'd be reluctant to live that way, is the fear that somehow if we do that, we'll miss out. We'll lose. Because if I give generously to the water project, well, then I can't use that money for something else I might want. If I give up my time to help somebody in need, well, then that time is gone. I can't have that time for other things. If I forgive somebody who's hurt me, then I'm the only one hurt. They get away with it. If I flee temptation, well, I might miss out on some fun. In other words, there is this fear that this whole delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart thing won't really work out for me. And this can be a big obstacle that keeps us from delighting ourselves in the Lord, that keeps us from giving ourselves fully to Christ and his agenda. And Jesus, who knows our hearts so well, he knows all about this fear. He talked about it, and he wants to deal with it. In your heart, in my heart, I want, I want us to look at what he said about this to set us free from this, this fear, this reluctance to be all in for him. It's found in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. If you have the note sheet in your folder, you can pull that out. It'll be up on the screen. Luke 12, 32. In Luke chapter 12, it says there that Jesus is talking to people described as his disciples. And you need to know that that's not talking just about those 12 guys who became apostles. If you read through how Luke uses the word, it's anybody who's made the choice to believe in Jesus and follow him. And so if you've made that choice, this is talking to you. These words apply to you. Here they are, Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid. Why does he tell them not to be afraid? What fear is he trying to overcome? Well, if you read the context, it's the fear of being totally sold out to him and his agenda. It's the fear of being shortchanged. That if you take Jesus seriously and live the way he says to live, somehow you're going to lose. In the verse that comes right before this, verse 31... Jesus says, seek God's kingdom. Seek his kingdom. That's what he's saying. Go for it. Make his agenda your agenda. Seek God's kingdom. And then he says, and these things, and he's talking there about food, clothes, whatever we would need, these things will be given to you as well. In other words, don't hold back pursuing God's kingdom because you're afraid that somehow your own needs won't be met. And then earlier in the chapter, 
he calls his followers to be bold in telling other people about him, about spreading the good news about Jesus, even if it creates opposition, the same kind of opposition that Jesus was receiving from the religious leaders. And he had just had a conflict with them, and he turns to his disciples and he says, you still be bold. You still go for it. Because eternal things are at stake. So he is saying here in Luke 12, go for it. Make God's agenda your agenda. Be bold. Be generous. Be all in for advancing God's kingdom. That's what he's talking about. And then we come to verse 32, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. Because he knows that's the thing that will keep us from doing this. You know, well, if I, if I go all out for Jesus, if I, if I make his agenda my agenda, well, what, what if God doesn't take care of me? What, what if God doesn't really want to do good to me? What if I delight myself in the Lord and He doesn't give me the desires of my heart? And Jesus will not let that fear go unchallenged. So He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This is an amazing statement. Every word is intended to liberate us, to free us from the fear that God is not really for us. Jesus is telling us what God's heart really is toward us who believe in Jesus. And he's telling us this so we don't have to wonder, we don't have to worry, we can give ourselves completely to him and his kingdom agenda, and we can be confident that the outcome for us will be everlasting joy. So, we need to look at this carefully. We need to know. We need to know that God will always do us good. That that is my desire for every one of us walking out of here today, is that we will know that God will always do us good if we trust Him. He will never let us down. He will never abandon us. He will always act to bring about our ultimate good, our ultimate joy, no matter what our circumstances look like. You say, well, how how can we know that? How can we know that God is really pursuing our ultimate joy? Well, take a closer look. Let's look at it, because you'll see the reasons. First one, we can know that God will always do us good because it's his pleasure to do it. Because it's his pleasure to do it. Now, we've all got things we're supposed to do. And some of the things we do them because we have to, and other things we do because we actually enjoy them. Which are more likely to get done? 
the things we take pleasure in. Jesus says that your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It doesn't say it's his duty to do it. It doesn't say he feels obligated to do it. It doesn't say he's coerced to do it. It says he's pleased to do it. It's his pleasure. This is about what God really wants to do. He wants to give you his kingdom. Now, I think we should think about that. I think we should just try to let that soak in. God really wants to give you his kingdom. That's what he wants to do. We need to let that sink in because sometimes in spite of what we believe in our heads, in our hearts, we may feel that God's only being good to us because, you know, it's in the contract. You've heard stories, I'm sure you have, I have, about people who get arrested and they're clearly guilty of some crime. And yet they get off. They get set free because of some legal technicality pulled off by a clever defense attorney. And so even though the the judge, what he wants to do is he wants to send that criminal to jail, but he can't do it because of this legal loophole. He can't. Is that how God feels toward us when we put our hope in Christ? He wants to condemn us. He wants to reject us, or at very least ignore us, but he can't because there's this legal loophole called the cross. That because Jesus died for us and we said yes to him, God has to forgive us even though he doesn't really want to. He doesn't even really like us. Seriously, does that dark suspicion ever creep into your heart sometimes? Because if it does, you need to take this truth and you need to shine it like a spotlight into your heart and dispel that darkness. Because this comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. Your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom When God offers you forgiveness because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross, that's what he wants to do. When God adopts you into his family and makes you his child, that's what he wants to do. When God gives you his kingdom, that's what he wants to do. He wants to do good to you. It makes him happy to make you happy forever. It's his pleasure. It's his pleasure. You can know God wants to do good to you. Another reason. We can know that God will always do us good because he's our father. It's interesting. Jesus here is talking about God giving us the kingdom, so you might think he'd refer to him as the king. So be not afraid, little flock, 
for your king has been pleased to give you the kingdom. But he doesn't call him king, even though that's true. And he doesn't call him our creator. And he doesn't call him our master, even though that's true. Instead, he calls him your father. Why? Because he wants you to know God's heart toward you. And he wants to rid our hearts of fear. God's heart toward his children. God's heart toward us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ is the heart of a good, loving, gentle father toward his own children. Now I know some of you did not have a good father, but I hope you know one some, I hope you know some. But if you don't, then you need to learn about what true fatherhood is from Scripture, what God tells us about it. Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children. A good father has compassion on his children. He cares about his children's needs and hurts and worries and concerns. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And here, fear him does not mean be afraid of him. It means something like reverencing him, honoring him. And we know that because of verses like Romans 8.15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And Jesus said, Matthew 7, 9, Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Would a good dad do that? Dad, I'm starving. Can I have a piece of bread? Sure, son. I know it looks like a rock, but go ahead. Take a nice big bite. No good dad would do that. Or if he asked for a fish, here, here, have a viper. (laughs) If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? When Jesus says it's your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom, What he's telling us is that his heart is really in it. His heart really is for us. Another reason. You can know that God will always do us good because he delights to give. Underline give. Your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's always good sometimes to stop and say, look at what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he's pleased to sell you the kingdom. As if you could somehow purchase it if he had the right resources. He doesn't say it's your father's pleasure to award you the kingdom. As if somehow you can do something to achieve it. No, it says He gives the kingdom. And if he gives it, that means it's a gift. And a gift 
cannot be earned, it cannot be purchased, it cannot be merited, it cannot be achieved, it can only be received. Or it's not a really a gift. And this, I've discovered that this is so hard for us to grasp that it's really a gift because we've learned that in this world there's no such thing as free. There really isn't. I mean, you look at advertisements. If it's got the word free on it, look carefully because there's almost always a little asterisk by it, a little footnote. And you read the footnote and it explains why free doesn't really mean free, why gift really isn't a gift. You have to earn it somehow. Not this gift. Not this gift. We couldn't earn it if we tried. Because it costs more than we could possibly afford. Free, in this case, does not mean cheap. This, the value of this gift is beyond comprehension. We can't even grasp how valuable this thing is. It's not cheap. It's just that someone else paid for it for us. 1 Peter 1.18 For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold... Nothing cheap like silver and gold that you were redeemed with, but with the precious blood of Messiah, a lamb without blemish or defect. You know, one of the reasons we can wonder, we we can fear that God is not really for us is because we know, or at least we should know, that we don't deserve anything good from God. And if you think you do, you really need to read carefully the truth about us. We don't deserve anything good from God, and you, 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 you know that. And so we wonder, why would God give us what we don't deserve? I want to tell you why that's a bad question, and we really need to stop asking it. Or we need to stop asking it that way. Why would God give us what we don't deserve. See, when we ask it or ask it that way, we're trying to find the reason in us as to why God would do good to us. But the reason's not in us. It's in God. It's kind of like going to a a spring. You know, we we saw that yucky water, okay? But imagine a spring of just beautiful water bubbling out of the rock. And you bring your, your bucket and you... And the water spills into your bucket and you ask, why? Why would the spring overflow into my bucket? My bucket's dirty. My bucket's cracked. My bucket's got a hole in it. Well, the answer's not in your bucket. That's not why the spring overflows. The spring overflows because it's its nature to overflow. And in the same way, it is the nature of God to give. It's not about our buckets. We don't bring anything to God except our thirst, which He delights to satisfy. He gives us the kingdom because He delights to give us the kingdom. End of story. No other explanation is needed. All right, time for one more. 
Know that God will always do us good because his gift is the greatest gift possible. In other words, God's giving you the greatest gift possible. Why would he possibly hold out on you? And I I don't even know how to describe the kingdom. Words fail. You you, You can imagine the greatest gift you could possibly think of ever receiving. The most amazing thing you could ever want, the most desirable, the most lavish, the most extravagant. And you could take that and you could multiply it by a million and you're still not even close. No, God doesn't promise to give us material wealth now. He doesn't promise to give us perfect health now. He doesn't promise to give us freedom from all hardships now. In fact, Jesus says that until he returns and makes right every wrong, that in this world we will have trouble. But then he says, take courage, because I've overcome the world. His kingdom is coming. And when it comes, we're we're just going to be blown away. We're just going to be blown away. 1 Peter 1.13 says, set your hope. What are you hoping in today? What are you hoping for? Set your hope fully, completely, totally on what? On the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's what we're to be hoping in. It's going to be so good that nothing else even comes close we're going to live, think about this, we're going to live on this, on, on the new earth. The earth resurrected and transformed. Finally, everything as it ought to be. We are going to see for the first time the beauty of God's creation, uncursed and unspoiled. We are going to eat from the tree of life. And there will be no death, no crying, no pain. We'll finally live in a world of perfect justice and peace. No evil, no hatred, no cruelty, no suffering. And I have every reason to believe that we're going to enjoy great food and more fun and more laughter than we have ever experienced in our entire lives. I'm not making this up. You you just read the book of Isaiah, you read the prophets, you read the last two chapters of Revelation. But you know what? As good as all that is, none of that is the main treasure of God's kingdom. The main treasure of God's kingdom is almost beyond belief. Here it is. We're going to experience the very presence of God with the capacity to enjoy Him fully. Now let me explain this because this is intense. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays that the love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for the Father, that the love of the Father and the Son for each other will be in us. You know what that means? That means that in the kingdom, we will be able to delight in the Son the way the Father delights in the Son. We will take pleasure in the Father the way the Son takes pleasure in the Father. And that is so different from now. See, now our capacity to really know 
and enjoy God is so limited because we're so foolish and we're sinful and we're weak. You know what it's like? It's kind of like somebody who's never, ever been out of the city. You know, they live in a downtown slum or something and they've never been outside the city and they're trying to experience some natural wonder like the Grand Canyon or the Columbia River Gorge or just some amazing vista of God's creation. And they're trying to get it from a little wallet-sized, fuzzy, out-of-focus, black-and-white picture. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to enjoy the Columbia River Gorge from a little... Oh, look, it's Multnomah Falls. Or, or imagine this. Imagine you're seated at the most incredible banquet you've ever seen prime rib, lobster, uh, for you vegans, tofu in abundance. (laughs) And it's awesome, and you sit down to enjoy it, but you just got back from the dentist, and your tongue is full of Novocaine. How well can you enjoy that feast? You can't. Our joy is limited because our capacity for God and His joy is limited. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Poor reflection as in a mirror. But then, then, oh, listen to it. We will see face to face. Face to face. And all that hinders and all that numbs and all that distracts will be taken away, gone forever, and we will finally know the eternal joy for which we were created. That's all God wants to give you. The kingdom. That's it. And it delights Him to give you this. It's His pleasure. So let's don't hold back because we're afraid he's going to hold out on us. He will never hold out on us. Go for it. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Pursue him in his kingdom with confidence that he delights to give you that which will satisfy you the most. Let's pray together. Father, you are so much greater, so much bigger, so much better. Your gifts are so much more valuable. Your heart is so good, so much beyond what we can even try to grasp today. But Lord, we want to. We want to pursue the joy. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who has not taken that first step on that path to turn from their sin, to say, I'm wrong, I can't do it, I don't deserve anything good, but Jesus, you died for me, and so I want, I want life, I want joy, I want you. Lord, may today be the day of salvation where they say yes. And Father, help us not hold back. Help us seek your kingdom first. 
and trust you to always be good to us. In Jesus' name.